Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Michael Lee. He's the founder and CEO at the Data Incubator. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing is is really interesting and, and kind of a new area in, in the tech space. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's start off with getting to know you better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, you know, I'm actually a byproduct of the West Coast originally. I grew up in Portland. Um, and that's where my family is. And I really moved out east for college. So I went to Princeton for my undergrad, uh, went to Cambridge on a Marshall, uh, studied math there, came back, uh, did more math uh, at Princeton, finishing up with a PhD. And really sort of if you have a background in mathematics and computer science, which is my undergrad, then the natural thing to do is become a quant. And sure. so I went and worked in Wall Street for a few years as a quant on uh, at D. Shaw and J.P. Morgan and sort of the usual suspects in the street. Sure. Uh, and then I made that transition into data science. Okay. So working as first actually at Andreessen Horowitz as their first data scientist in residence, and then moving to one of the portfolio companies, Foursquare, where I eventually uh, headed up data science monetization and really led the efforts there. So um, that's kind of my uh, career in a nutshell. Okay, no, that, that's interesting. So for people that don't know, what exactly is a data scientist? Yeah, no, I think that's a really great question. Uh, I think one way to explain it is if you uh, think about Seinfeld, there was that show about nothing. Yeah, yeah, in some yeah, sense, yeah. I think data science is like a show is about is like science about nothing, right? Interesting. Um, where you know, you're, if you're a chemist, you study chemistry. If you're a physicist, you study physical things. Uh, but in some sense, data science is a discipline that doesn't have a specific topic that it studies. It's very broad, and I think that's one of the things that makes it really exciting. So to be more specific. Uh, we live in this world in which tremendous amounts of data are being created uh, hourly, minutely, um, through our smartphones, on the internet, uh, through the internet of things. And all this data is being streamed and collected. And I think there's a tremendous potential for companies, governments, nonprofits to tap into this data to make much more uh, much more informed decisions. So decisions which aren't just based on the HIPPO principle, that is the highest paid person's opinion, uh, yes. but is, are actually based on real data and um, the empirical, what, uh, what empirical research says, as opposed to just what uh, some opinion held by somebody might be. And data science is really about 
using scientific techniques and applying it to that data to make better decisions. Sure. It's kind of like the data doesn't lie, right? That's right. Um, or I would maybe I would qualify that by saying data that's correctly interpreted doesn't lie. Because as, uh, sure that's a good know, way, that's a better way of putting it for sure. As I'm sure you know, it can be very uh, deceptive. There's a famous quote by Benjamin Disraeli that's well, there are three types of lies: lies, damn lies, and statistical lies. <laughs> Fair. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have to be careful. But yes, I, I think that's right. Like we want a world in which uh, we make decisions based on actual information and not just on hearsay. Sure, and I think even kind of like on the software side, like companies like Google and whatnot and Yahoo are kind of famous for basically picking a shade of a color based on like what converts the best, right? And that's all data driven. It doesn't, you almost like remove the designer. It's like, well, blue converts the best and like this shade of blue or orange or whatever color it is, right? And, and that stuff's always been kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that if so, I you know worked at Foursquare, and while I did a lot on monetization, sure. we also did a lot for organic content. That is content that's uh, not paid for or by a sponsor, but uh, that we sort of naturally bubble up. And I can tell you that so much of what we're trying to do is around making the product as compelling as possible. But where compelling is, oh, we determine what's compelling based on data, and that is a you know, uh, an incredibly valuable tool that uh, we and any sort of digital-born company has is because we're sort of set up nicely to collect data and to process it and then use that back in our products, we can actually have a natural advantage in making much more compelling, uh, much more engaging products. Sure. No, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So... What exactly is the data incubator and why did you decide to kind of get it up and running? Yeah, so I think as we, you know, as there's this tremendous demand for uh, data and then doing interesting things with data from businesses, what we're seeing is there's a large demand for talent that's capable of working with this data. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is in many ways kind of a large gap between uh, what the industry needs and what universities are able to provide. Uh, and I think we sort of nicely fill that gap. Um, I think a lot of academic education, just by the nature of the academy, is moving much more slowly than the rapid innovations we see in industry. And so it's a little hard for universities to always be on the cutting edge of what it is that, uh, we need, uh, that industry needs. And we kind of help bridge that gap. We offer this eight-week fellowship that trains PhDs and master's students uh, up on the latest and greatest technologies uh, that are used in industry for big data. And then we partner with hiring companies who want to hire from this program. And the program is completely free for the students that are coming in. And we just end up charging uh, the employers basically a placement fee if they hire from the program. Interesting. Okay. So... Kind of walk me through the fellowship a little bit more. So uh, you, you quickly mentioned it, like what year of schooling or what kind of background do you need to actually, you know, come to the fellowship and then kind of walk me through the course and, and kind of what happens once you're done the course. Yeah, so with, uh, the program is open to anyone with a master's or PhD. Okay. Uh, so any sort of graduate degree. Um, and 
the course itself is about a lot of the technologies um, and techniques that are really useful for data science. So, you know, a lot of that is around data wrangling, data manipulation, extracting data from that's highly unstructured and making it more structured. A lot of it is around using advanced analytics and machine learning, right? Neural nets, TensorFlow, uh, support vector machines, random forests. A lot of these kind of really high power statistical machine learning techniques that are uh, becoming more readily accessible um, are in huge demand right now. And sure. we need people who are tra trained to use those techniques. And then uh, obviously data visualization is tremendously important because oftentimes you, you are analyzing data for the sake of convincing a human decision maker. And so having uh, tools that allow you to build great visualizations will really help make that message much more impactful. And I think the last category would be something around what you would call big data. So uh, being able to process this um, data in a distributed manner uh, using tools like Hadoop, MapReduce, or Spark. Okay, interesting. So how do you decide, because you guys probably get a bunch of people applying, how do you decide like who gets to come and who you kind of have to turn away? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Um, so we get about 2,000 applicants each Wow. Uh, each quarter. We take up the top 2%. Wow. So a pretty selective group. Sure. Um, and we, you know, when you think about uh, what makes a good data scientist, we often put that into three categories. Okay. And the three categories are uh, going to be a reasonable amount of what you would call software engineering skills, right? You're working with large amounts of data. You can't just expect to do things theoretically in your head anymore. You have to actually crunch numbers, and so you need to get the computer to do it. Right, okay. Um, the second part is mathematics and statistics, right? You need a strong background in probability and statistics so that you can get then do that next level of advanced analytics and machine learning. So that's a very important foundation. Got you, okay. The last part is what uh, you might call sort of common sense or business savvy. We obviously, if you're coming from academia and industry, one of the great concerns that employers often have is that uh, you're too theoretical. You're not really thinking about the practical implications of things. Sure. You're just looking at, you know, oh, this is an interesting technique that I can apply to some data. And so we really want to find people who have all three of these skills, the basic uh, software engineering, the basic um, probability and stats, and some ability to sort of understand what are interesting problems, what are the practical problems, and what can I really do. And if you have, uh, those three things, and I think you'll be uh, in a good position to become a data scientist. Sure. No, I, I think that's that's really good advice. And you guys have partnered with some like big name companies that you know people going through the program could potentially get hired at. So I understand totally makes sense why you you're basically so picky, right? Because you have to be, right? Exactly. You know, um, I think our employers, uh, the employers that we work with, expect a lot from us. Um, and so, you know, we have companies like uh, New York Times or Genentech and eBay and JP Morgan and Pfizer and Yelp and Mashable, and they all want really high quality data scientists. And we need to make sure that we provide that to them. So, you know, we have to be pretty picky about who we bring in. Yeah, no, totally. And how, how long is kind of the process 
when from when I apply to when I could potentially start? Does it take weeks? Does it take months? Or, or how does that kind of work? Yes, and I think the application process is about a month. Okay. Um, right, and then uh, you know it finishes up usually about a month before the fellowship, so that people have time to move in. Uh, um, and then uh, the fellowship is for eight weeks. Got you. So it's just in the three cities right now, the fellowship, or or where where are you guys located right now? Yeah. So we are. Uh, we're actually ex expanding. Um, we'll okay. be expanding to two other cities, um, Seattle and Boston. But we're it, currently in New York, uh, the the Bay Area, and Washington D.C. And also on and there's an online program. So if you want to follow along this program online from home, you can also do that. Okay. And then do you have the same benefits if you do it online as like potentially getting hired by one of these companies, or is it just kind of more like self learning? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think well, it's a very active learning process, right? So if you're taking it, uh, the program wherever, I think it's uh, we're very engaged with you, and we're very um, into making this a very interactive and very engaged, uh, very sort of engaged process. Um, that said, uh, you know, I think that the people who do it online um, are always going to be at a you know, there's a slight disadvantage doing it online because you're never in the same room with everyone else sure. and I think there's a certain camaraderie that you get there uh, but being in person that you don't get if you're doing it online but you know we also understand that some people just have requirements um, that you know family uh, what have you that keep you from being able to leave um, the uh, leave your home uh, and come join the program for uh, in person, so we offer the online option as sort of a way of being flexible for them. Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's nice that you kind of offer offer both because some people can't relocate for periods of time or or whatever, right? So it's exactly. nice to have that option. So for companies that are looking for data scientists, you guys have built kind of like a database of graduates. So. How does it, if a company's looking, how would they use you guys to actually find talent for their company? Yeah, so there are a number of ways. You know, they can participate, they can, uh, we offer a lot of um, way, uh, venues for them to meet our fellows, whether that be happy hours or um, pitch night um, or sort of uh, nights when they can come in and sort of present about what they do. They can come in and do a guest lecture. So there's a lot of opportunities for engagement within the fellowship. And of course, the majority of what companies do is really sort of going through an interviewing process. So it's moving candidates through that pipeline um, and interviewing them both while they're in the, the fellowship and also for the uh, few weeks after the fellowship is completed. And I might just also add that's where um, we've actually done a a lot of international expansions as well. So we now have a presence in uh, Malaysia, in the wow. United Kingdom, and in uh, the European Union, uh, where we're teaching classes in all of those locations. No, that's that's awesome. So uh, in person, then? Yes, that's right. Okay. So um, how do you guys kind of pick the venue or, or the location where you guys teach this stuff? Is it in universities? Uh, so in the U.S., you know, we just have uh, we're a startup, so we just have our own offices, and we have a we've built a classroom environment for that to happen in. Gotcha. And then internationally, we uh, have a lot of partners that we work with, and they help us uh, with a lot of the on the ground logistics. 
Okay, interesting. No, that, that makes that makes sense. So you guys also do kind of corporate training. How, how does that work and how is that the same and different from kind of the fellowship? Yeah, so with corporate training, what happened was about maybe two years ago, companies started coming to us and saying, okay, it's great. We hire one or two folks from you a quarter, but that's not going to move the needle for us. What we really need is to get our thousand or so actuaries trained up or a thousand or so statisticians trained up to that next level where they be, can become data scientists. And uh, so what we've done is we've taken that uh, eight weeks of curriculum and we've broken it down into these kind of weekly modules. So there's eight of them from the fellowship. And then we just can deliver that um, in a kind of a customized way on site for our clients. We usually go to their locations. So I've personally traveled to a number of places in the US to deliver trainings. And uh, we have a, sort of a number of teachers who are on staff who are always doing this. Okay, so you have people that would potentially go to somebody's office and train people for days at a time? Exactly. Typically, uh, three to five days. Okay. And, and what's the cost on that? Or is it kind of depending on the size of people and company? Or, or how, does, how do you guys charge for that? Yeah, you know, the pricing is pretty variable. Um, and, it really, you know, every engagement is different, so it's hard to say. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, just to add to what I said earlier, I think that there is a, there's this really strong desire on the part of companies to train up what you might call analytics 1.0 talent to okay. becoming analytics 2.0. Okay. So, so what is, what is the definition of, in your opinion of like, at like 1.0 and then what is your definition of 2.0? Yeah. So with 1.0, I think it's really what you might call data science before we called it data science, okay. right? Or before the term was coined. So there have been people uh, working on using mathematics and computation to s solve business problems for long periods of time. Um, and I, you know, I used to be a quant on Wall Street, so I saw this. But we, all, we also had statisticians uh, working to help uh, determine drug efficacy or uh, actuaries who are writing policies on insurance. Right, or statisticians who are helping uh, determine uh, credit worthiness. All these people are essentially doing data science, or we're doing data science, but before the advent of a lot of the modern tools and a lot of the modern techniques. So there are in many ways the perfect candidates to be trained up to that next level where, okay, great, so maybe you learn a lot of statistics, but you don't have a lot of exposure to machine learning. Or maybe you've been used to using sort of these older legacy languages to process your data, and what you really need to do to, is to kick it up to the next level where you're learning a modern language and a modern, te modern technology stack that allows you to just handle a lot more data and handle a lot more unstructured data, structure it, uh, and then perform computations. So I think but that's a lot of what we're seeing on the, from corporate training is sort of moving people who are in the analytics 1.0 world into the analytics 2.0 world. Got you. Okay. No, that, that's interesting. So I, I know you kind of are a contributor, a contributor to a bunch of kind of big, big name um, publications like TechCrunch and O'Reilly and the Harvard Business Review. And, and so what kind of stuff do you usually kind of write around kind of data science? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of what people want to hear from us is around hiring and training of data scientists, right? Sort of thinking about data science talent and whether that be 
you know, how do you, should you interact with your data scientists? Uh, to what are some of the important key lessons that even non-data scientists should know about data science? Uh, what are some of the industry use cases around how data science is successful? Um, what are some of the key strategies for training up data scientists or training people who are, let's say, proto-data scientists or analytics 1.0 professionals to become those analytics 2.0 professionals? Right. Um, and I think that that's the, uh, you know, it's sort of typically are uh, pieces in that genre. Um, just to give you an example, uh, we recently wrote a piece with the global head of uh, big data at Genentech, okay. uh, which is a part of the Roche kind of uh, pharmaceutical conglomerate. And we're really talking about their moving, their journey from analytics 1.0 to analytics 2.0. And for them, it was really going from clinical trials a world in which, you know, roughly speaking, you collect the data that's exactly, per, you know, perfectly uh, selected to solve the one question you wanted to answer, which was, is this, or yeah, the, the set of questions you want to answer, is this drug efficacious and is it dangerous? Uh, and in that world, data analysis is relatively simple because your data comes pre-prepared. You know exactly how you wanted to, you set up the experiment to collect the data exactly the way you needed it to be. And then you just ran a predefined statistical analysis on it. Um, and then you could just decide yes or no. Now contrast that with whether they want to go, which is using what they call real world data. And for a pharma company, a real world data basically means anything that doesn't come from a clinical trial. So. Uh, they want to look at how is this drug being used out in the real world? Uh, do we have uh, data um, about consumers' uh, purchasing habits, about claims data from insurance companies? Can we sort of look through electronic medical records to understand what are what you would probably call off-label usages of the data so that we can then see, oh, look, we initially approved this drug for X, but it turns out it also treats this whole other class of symptoms. Let's go get FDA approval for this uh, so that we can open up a second market for essentially the same research that we've already done. Um, so it's really being able to kind of mine this data for alternative use cases uh, and uh, to understand sort of how the drugs are being applied in the real world um, that uh, they're really kind of honing in on. And I think the really exciting thing about this from a talent perspective, is that this is no longer these kind of cookie cutter data sets and cookie cutter analyses. You are suddenly given all this data and told, come up with interesting questions, right? Before you knew what the question you were gonna ask was, now you have to figure out what that question should be. You're asking the, uh, the data, like, what should I be asking of you? Uh, you're dealing with very unstructured data. You're dealing with data that wasn't collected for the purposes of answering the question that you are tr uh, trying to ask, right? A lot of this data was collected by other businesses for other reasons, and now you're trying to use the kind of information exhaust, so to speak, from this data to mine it and come up with interesting insights. So I think that that's a really exciting aspect of being a data scientist. It's a very creative aspect, uh, and it's one of the reasons I think that so many people are drawn to this kind of career. Sure. So this might be kind of a dumb question, but like when you're, say I'm in healthcare or, you know, 
the financial services industry, you kind of need to find a data scientist that's passionate about that industry, or does it not matter, or does it sometimes matter, or it like it's just they're looking at data and it doesn't really matter what you know industry that data is in or from. Yeah, look, I, I think that's a really great question, right? And I think you're you, uh, you're absolutely right in the sense that. Um, to be a good data scientist, you have to really understand the domain of the data, sure. because okay. not everything is in the data files, right? A lot of it yeah. is in the external context around the data. And you have to really understand that in order to be able to uh, really learn and glean important information from your data sets. Sure. Now that said, I think that the really successful, kind of really savvy uh, companies have found that people coming in don't necessarily have to have that background. Okay. Um, so just to give you an example, my uh, former industry, the financial services industry, is famous for hiring people uh, who have all sorts of backgrounds. They don't really care if you've ever, you know, if you've worked in finance before. Uh, and what they're really trying to do is get fresh ideas because they know that somebody with a astronomy background could come in, say, "Hey, there was this technique I used in my PhD to do X." Let me try to apply okay. this to the stock trading problem, and lo and behold, I'll make a lot of I can make a lot of money. Interesting. I think that when you are in a field or domain where you have so much expertise uh, wrapped around, you know, understanding problems in this one particular way, you necessarily get tunnel vision. Like we all do, it's hard for us to avoid it. And I think that one of the exciting things about data science is it's really talking about well, how do all of those all of us who are in this essentially highly interdisciplinary science of nothing, how do we use our collective techniques and our collective uh, intelligence to solve all of our problems and kind of cross-pollinate? And I think the really savvy companies understand this. So they're very open to hiring people who have a background that's different from their industry because it allows them to get new ideas and get that competitive edge. Interesting. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. So. How does a, like a person that's not a data scientist, or maybe there is no data scientist at a company, how do you hire a data scientist? Like, what do you look for? And kind of how do you validate whether they're an actual data scientist? That's a, that's a really great question. I think that's always a tough one to answer. Uh, you know, I think in terms of the skills you should be looking for, it is really these three aspects of you want to make sure you have a, this candidate has a strong um, coding kind of software engineering foundation. Okay. You want to make sure that they have a good, strong understanding of statistics, machine learning, and analytics, that um, portion of it. And then you want to make sure that they're practical, that they can understand how to take these two, these two, uh, two tool sets that they have, combine it and really solve important business problems uh, with those tools. Uh, now that's, you know, that said, that's not an easy thing to be able to do. No, it's extremely so, difficult. I, and I think assessing that is tough. And I think that's one of the reasons companies really like working with us. Sure. Uh, we vet candidates very stringently. Um, we work with a lot of top uh, data science you know, hiring firms, people like Amazon and eBay and Yelp, um, you know, the kind of names you might think about uh, as you think about data science. 
And by working with people like this, we're able to really get um, top talent. And that means if you are a company that's a little that hasn't hired the data scientist before or just is as more uncertain, this provides you some degree of uh, protection or safety because you know that you're at least hiring from a good crop of people. Sure. So, and, and again, this might be a, a dumb question, but how do you, like, obviously, if you're looking to get a data scientist, you have a, probably a, a big problem or, or a few big problems that you need solving. But once they're kind of solved or at least solved in, in the company's eyes, how do you kind of keep that data scientist around or kind of come up with new things? Or is that kind of irrelevant? Like there's always things that you can get them to do. And I, and I guess like the reason I ask is because if I hire a data scientist and I'm not a data scientist myself and I need them to solve these problems, how do I keep them busy once they potentially solve those problems for me? Yeah, you know, I think what we've seen is that there's all there's never a shortage of problems. There's sure. always more problems to solve. And as you start digging into the data, you will come up with new and interesting questions okay. uh, to look at. Uh, and many of them could be very, very valuable to your company. So, in fact, you'll actually come up with new questions faster than you can answer them. Uh, and I think what you'll just see is that... Uh, once you, what we see is that when companies, after they hire their first data scientist, they realize how valuable it is, and they come back and they hire more because they realize that they just need to do more of this. It's so valuable to them. Okay, no, that that makes sense. So for you guys, as kind of being an industry leader on teaching others and and you know um, vetting people, how do you guys kind of stay current with? what's happening in the industry and new tools and stuff that's coming out? Is it a lot of it related to what you're hearing from the industry or is it research on your own or a bit of both? Yeah, you know, we are very actively engaged in industry. Um, we are in a num we go uh, to a bunch of the leading industry conferences where we we're either speaking or teaching courses. Uh, we do a lot of industry publications. We work very closely with our hiring companies to see what kind of skills and tools they're asking for in their candidates. And we use all of those touch points in the, um, to uh, use that as feedback for our curriculum. And we're constantly iterating on this. We have a, we run the fellowship four times a year, basically once a quarter. And after each quarter, we do a debrief of, okay, what went well? What should we improve? And then what are things that people are saying, tell, what are things that people in the industry are telling us that we need to be adopting? Um, and just to give you one example of this, uh, Spark, which is the technology that's really become hot in the data science world and the big data world, uh, that was something that, you know, when I started at Foursquare, we were maybe thinking of adopting as kind of a very early user to when we started the data incubator, uh, it was beginning to become hot, but it was still sort of more, still an experimental technology um, to now it is one of the biggest uh, it's probably the premier platform for doing distributed computing honestly and uh, we've you know about a year or two ago actually added it to our curriculum um, and incorporated it so that's just to give you one example of a new tool or technology that we were uh, we added on that was not part of the initial sort of curriculum that we developed Sure. No, no, that makes sense. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, especially for people that maybe aren't in necessarily a big tech hub, how do you 
like even recruit talent like I to potentially move to your company or work remote for you because like it, this is kind of such a new space and there's got to be more demand <clears throat> than there are people. Now, there's a, definitely a huge demand for data scientists. Uh, McKinsey is projecting that there's an excess demand by 150 to 100,000 people. Um, okay, interesting. Uh, that there's an excess demand of 150 to 190,000 uh, data scientists um, in the U.S. alone. That uh, will be will need something like 1.5 million data savvy managers. Uh, so there's this definitely a huge demand for this, uh, and it can be tough if you're not necessarily in one of the tech hubs. Now that said, um, I think what people have found is that uh, they can do pretty well if they uh, if they sort of recruit aggressively and they're flexible. So if you allow people to work remotely you might be able to get more candidates. The other thing that I've uh, seen a lot of is that people, some people actually want to move to a less busy place. So they want to be um, off the beaten path, so to speak, uh, especially if you're family and we all know that the cost of living in New York and sure. San Francisco and some of these tech hubs is very high. Uh, some people actually appreciate the fact that they can make a good salary but not have to spend as much, um, especially if they have a family. No, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and I, I think I think you bring up kind of an interesting point, right? Is as people more and more get kind of trained up on this, or you could even bring you guys in to actually teach your current staff, and and just letting people work remote and being kind of more open to to that, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, do you find that you know maybe like on the smaller size of a company? you need a data scientist kind of full-time or could you just hire somebody part-time or or what's your kind of take around that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's always a tough question and obviously hiring a data scientist is a pretty big investment. Sure. Uh, but what we've usually seen is that uh, just where the job market is and also just in terms of how much of an investment you have to make into a candidate, um, both hiring and also just uh, sort of training up once they get to your company, that uh, most com most employers are really thinking this is a thing I want somebody on full time because you really it takes a while for them to understand the business processes and understand your company well enough that they can start making a really important and insightful impact uh, and it's that is a very important thing um, that you know you don't want to skimp on by having someone part time. Sure, and I also think it probably makes sense like. Once, especially if you don't, you're new to maybe the industry that you're you're looking at, to maybe like bring members of the team and say like, look, I found this. Is this relevant or like how can I dive deeper into this? Like you, it, it must be kind of like, you know, the data's telling me this. What do you, like, it, it's got to be a little bit of trial and error. Absolutely. I think there's a, a really good data science teams have a strong back and forth um, so that there's... Uh, the people who are data scientists are learning from the not the uh, business experts or, or whatever, and the others this other side, the business team is learning from the data scientists. Sure. So I, I know, like obviously, the financial industry makes a lot of sense, and and like the pharmaceutical kind of industry, and even the startup side. But what other industries 
could really benefit from having a data scientist in it that maybe isn't that common that maybe people should start thinking about looking into maybe bringing somebody onto the team? Yeah, I think we're seeing data science penetrate at every level, Okay. right? And whether that is at um, a insurance company or whether that is in advertising technology or um, uh, consulting, that's another major area, um, the government, we're just seeing a tremendous desire to use data um, now that the tools are much more readily available and now that almost every company is collecting huge amounts of data uh, or being told by their board of directors that they should be. Sure. So is there any kind of tools that you could recommend to any data scientists listening that they should be using if they're not currently using them? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the tools stack that we're teaching folks on is the PyData tool stack. Okay. So the part of Python that is useful for doing uh, data science, numerical computation, that kind of stuff. Got you. Okay. And then I know Microsoft released R. Am I correct? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Well, so R has been around as an open source package for a long time. I know that Microsoft is looking to do more with R. Okay. And they released like a, a tool recently that, that was open source, if I remember correctly. Have you played um, with that at all? Yeah, so I mean, I think what we've seen is that uh, while R is is and continues to be a very important language in data science, uh, I think we've seen that Python is really overtaking it. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. And for a number of reasons, uh, but one of them being that Python is really a much stronger language for reproducibility and better engineering practices. That, gotcha. that is better software engineering practices. And if you sort of think about your actual data science workflow, you're, it's like 90% going to be in Python. Or sorry, it's going to be 90% going to be in uh, sort of software development, ETL, data munging, right? That kind of dirty, unglamorous work of cleaning your data. That's actually most of the work. Sure. And for that kind of stuff, uh, using a tool, a more flexible, uh, a more commonly used tool like Python uh, will just give you a lot more mileage. Sure. So are you, do you guys ever run into struggles then when you're working with clients that are maybe more of like a Microsoft environment when you're trying to bring an open source uh, language like Python in? Uh, no, not really. I think that's, uh, so I mean obviously my, uh, Microsoft has this uh, R distribution, yeah, uh, which I, th I think what you're talking about, where I think they're trying to just make it a little easier to download and use, sure, uh, which is always a valuable thing. Um, but you know, I mean, you know we support R and we do a lot of corporate training in R, um, and we're we're definitely capable of helping people on it. Uh, and I think that that's you know, and R is also open source, right? So it's, sure, yeah, I it's guess. Not a, a dichotomy of choice one way or the other. But do you know what I mean? Like some, I'm sure there's got to be some companies out there that like are like, no, you can't run Python on our, you know, on our local network or whatever. Have you haven't seen that really? I guess like if you're you want a data scientist, you you have to be open to letting them use, you know, industry best tools. I think that that's the right way to think about it. Okay. Um, it's not to say that there aren't proprietary tools and uh, vendors proprietary tools who can do sort of various parts of the ecosystem or solve or have competitive products that sort of solve certain 
you know, that are useful for certain domains. Um, and often these tools are uh, kind of point and click tools as opposed to sort of requiring that deeper uh, computer and software engineering knowledge. But, you know, what we're seeing is that companies realize they hit a point very quickly with these custom tools because nobody, no vendor can take care of every use case that you have. Sure. And you ultimately need a degree of customizability and flexibility that um, just like no closed system is able to get you. Uh, I think where we see a lot of vendors working very successfully is in taking an open source tool and packaging it up and making it useful for enterprises. Uh, right? Okay. Level support. Uh, but the fundamental tool is still the open source tool. You can use all the free open source packages out there, um, and they don't try to restrict your ability to extend the length, to extend the tool, and to add to the tool. Got you. Well, Michael, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, so maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys at the Data Incubator. Yeah, absolutely. If you are interested in learning more, we are at thedataincubator.com. Um, and you can check out our blog, which has tons of resources on data uh, about becoming a data scientist, or uh, um, sources for uh, data sources for cool data science projects you might want to do on your own. Um, and if you want to apply for the fellowship, or if you want to become a hiring company, or learn more about our training options, you can also find that on our website at www.thedataincubator.com. Perfect, Michael. I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Kevin. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep playing the future.